I'm Mark Walsh, and coming up on today's show... If you swipe a credit card and the card number gets stolen, you know, credit card agencies and others have mechanisms to quickly identify what if your data gets out, stuff that you can't replace, like biometrics, other things that you can't replace and are used against you, that's really hard. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast. It's What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh. Our conversation today is with Ryan Leervik. Ryan is the author of Understand, Manage, and Measure Cyber Risk. Ryan is a cybersecurity expert. Oh, and guess what? Cyber risk is a real big deal. We talked about all of the things that you as a consumer should be aware of, like using your credit card, volunteering your information when you book a trip on United Airlines, all of the natural stuff that should frankly concern us, maybe scare us. And then we talked about at a higher level about the kind of information that our, our government, the state you live in, other governments around the world are trying to protect and how, frankly, state-oriented and stateless actors are constantly have efforts to try and take information that they can exploit. Yeah, scary? You got it. But you need to listen to learn more to make sure your information is kept as safe as possible. Here's our conversation. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Mark. Uh, I guess this whole cyber thing might actually be a big deal, huh? It sounds like it. Yeah. yeah we see so, it recently. Timing is everything. And uh, your your knowledge base, your domain expertise, this book, the other ways that you're interacting with clients and institutions, et cetera, this has to be b- both the scariest and the most exciting time for somebody who knows what you know. It is. It yeah. is. In fact, if we go back to like 2005, I thought this problem would be solved by 2010. Solved. <laughs> all done. solved. Yeah. yeah. We'd understand it. We'd have it managed and uh, we'd be all set. Yeah, and, and the reality there is that uh, it's just gotten sort of worse, right? We've been distracted on things and other pieces. So, uh, you know, it's time to come back to sort of some of the fundamentals and think through what we could do to help solve it. So let's hop into that. The other day I was talking with somebody who said that crypto, cryptocurrency is just stateless money. And I thought, so stateless, what an interesting term. And I think in cyber, we keep hearing that there are state-sponsored cyber things and stateless-sponsored cyber things. Which scares you more, or is that an unfair way to think about it? <laughs> it's an interesting way to think about it, because so state-sponsored, we typically think about nation-state, right? So these are the adversaries, right, that sort of pit each other against each other, right? Um, and then, you know, the non-state are the criminal actors and others that are really looking to steal stuff from you or deface, you know, your institution, whatever the case might be. So completely different motives uh, for uh cyber, you know, crime, if you will, or things that are actually going to do you or the institution harm. So state, you know, the the, the current uh, devil mm-hmm. is Russian-sponsored cyber, crime, cyber criminals, which clearly is true. They seem to have some organizations, both sponsored by the state or perhaps just rogue that maybe get support, whatever. I mean, you, you're, you're going you're gonna to clear this up for me, I'm sure. But it does seem that they're really good at affecting institutions that they decide to attack. Are they kind of on your hit list the, the best at this, or are there folks we're not paying enough attention to? Well, the interesting thing here is from the state-sponsored attacks, I would say that the most interesting thing there is I would leave most of that to the intelligence communities to figure out, Yeah, you know, rack and stack, who's the best, what they're doing, what, you know, techniques, tactics, and procedures they're using. Uh, because the, the reality is, you know, 
cyberspace itself is kind of an open space in many sense uh, of the word, right? So you've got all these flaws in technology, right, that can be used in various ways. And, you know, when it comes to warfare in general or espionage, right, nation states are curious to either win the war, right, or try to get as much information uh, from, you know, spy tradecraft that they can to pull it in, right? And, you know, just things that are connected online and where data happens to sit and, and, and reside is one way to do just that. So there, that's a whole different animal in terms of, uh, you know, uh, cybersecurity, whereas the institution or the personal level is slightly different, largely because, you know, we don't have the authorities to, to act that way in, in America, mm-hmm. right, uh, or in the U.S. and, and, and other countries where um, state-sponsored activities, their policies, procedures, and authorities might be slightly different. So cybercrime being one of them from the country you mentioned, right? <laughs> they have uh, a pretty sophisticated group of individuals, um, w- whereas uh, others may not use that quite, you know, th- that specific tactic to uh, achieve the means that they uh, want to achieve. Nicely phrased. Yeah. We're talking with Ryan Leervik here on What's Working in Washington. His book, Understand, Manage, and Measure Cyber Risk, Practical Solutions for Creating a Sustainable Cyber Program, is out. And uh, I, I want to focus on the word measure hmm. because sometimes we're told – we don't actually know some of the attacks that are rebuffed, either by corporations with a denial, denial of service or whatever that they, they – are you happy with the amount of shared information that, that uh, the targets of attacks are sharing with each other, be they private corporations, public corporations, or governments, or do you wish there was more sharing? Oh, interesting. Yeah, there can always be more sharing, right? The hard part with sharing is a lot of times if you're an organization or even an individual and you want to share information, you have to kind of disclose, right? Right? It's risky, right? right? It's, it's kind of embarrassing, too, in certain aspects of it. Um, so what I focus more on or what mo- most of the focus is on now from the management side is, all right, what are some pieces that we can measure that really sort of tell us if we're doing well or not? Like number of employees, you know, uh, performing poor, you know, poor behavior in the organization, right? This gives you a level of risk that says, all right, look, I, you know, I know where some of my risky behavior is that could target some uh, critical assets that I have that I want to keep safe, right? An ability to sort of manage that. Um, and one of the ones that always, you know, sort of gets lost in the shuffle is how ready are we to respond when, you know, an organization has an issue? So something around, you know, incident response capabilities and readiness is a big one as well to measure that because then you get a sense for like, all right, if something were to happen, at least at some level, I'm prepared right, to do what I need to do versus, you know, versus not. Well, also, uh, got it, but the preparation sometimes, to your point of embarrassment, means mm-hmm. you have to tell all your customers that something bad happened. And I, I don't know about you, but I know I've been on the recipient of a couple of emails saying, gee, sorry, your credit card or whatever the heck was on our database is now, you know, somewhere in the dark web. Um, do you wish, that's an unfair question, <laughs> yeah. uh, are, are you happy, as somebody who knows this, with the way some of these larger corporations are protecting inside the the walls, walls of their castle the data that we as consumers voluntarily give them? Yeah, that's exactly the issue, Mark. It's what level of care, <clears throat> pardon me, what level of care are institutions providing to the data that you give them, yeah. right, on out of trust and, you know, some sort of confidence level. 
So that's that's the hard part, right? Is there's this maturity curve, right, of organizations. I mean, you can imagine at the very high end of the maturity curve, there's you know the world's largest banks, naturally, right? You would hope, yeah. (laughs) So they're kind of there, yeah, right. And then all the way down, you know, on the Etsy, yeah. yeah. Well, there's that too, right? I mean, these these are the issues, right? So sort of like, what data do you have, and what's important, and how well are you protecting it? Um, So you know, the, the interesting thing now is that the laws have changed. In various, you know, in federal laws and most likely in, in local laws, especially in California and New York, mm-hmm. they're changing now to demand that there's a certain amount of there's a, a breach notification is what they call it, right? And so there's a there's you need to actually be able to notify the individuals who are harmed by the data that's been released within a certain period of time. Got it. Sometimes that's very short. That could be 24 hours. Sometimes it's you know within seven days. But either way, the organization has to find out: Did I lose it? Right? Did it actually leave my network? And who are the customers that are impacted? And those that are impacted, right? How do I reach out to them? And let them know. So there's, you know, it's getting better from a notification standpoint. But also, don't they or don't you wish? I know I do wish they would tell me what to do about it. Mm. And maybe the answer is, we're sorry, nothing. You know, it's out there. Are there are there kind of circles of of uh, of cure that we as consumers or maybe even corporations, large and small, should be ready to to have in our toolkit when this stuff happens? Yeah, great question. And that's it. And there's two pieces to it, right? There's one, what can we do sort of prophylactically, right, to, to protect ourselves no matter where we give our data? And then two, can we check where we're giving that data and who we're giving that to? Are they providing a due care for that data that we would find sufficient, right? And that first one could be, you know, credit scores, right? That's a big one for us, especially, you know, our own data. You know, we've heard this a lot, but one of the, one of the easiest prophylaxis is freeze your credit mm-hmm. so that if an attacker or, you know, somebody with malicious intent actually gets your data and tries to use it, you know, in theory, right, most of the time uh, they would try to use it and use your credit. They would be frozen from actually opening any type of debt associated with your name. So when you say freeze, you mean stop the credit agencies from reporting any data about you to anybody who asks? Until you unfreeze the credit or thaw it. Okay. That's right. Yeah. And remember, there are four credit agencies, not just the three. I thought there were three. Yeah, there, Learn there are. something so, every day. That's right. So, so check all four and freeze it across all four. Got it. Yep. That's one. And then on the other side, when you look at the companies that you're putting, you're giving your data to, so these are the banks, these are the retailers, you know, these are credit card agencies. Travel, yeah. Travel, exactly. You know, we don't all want to sit back and read their privacy statements, right, and, and their data use policies. But, you know, there's so They're fascinating. They, yeah, they're 19 great. pages. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but there's a great way to, you know, sort of get, you know, there's a couple things to look for right away. Like, do they have a policy? Does it state that, you know, my data is protected? And do they tell me when they're going to notify me if it's not? Right? This is it. And, and one of the biggest pieces that we all sort of forget, sort of the gap between those two, since we rely on IT everywhere, right? One of them is just simply, you know, making sure your operating software on your cell phone is up to date, mm-hmm. right? Because um, there are the privacy and the data use policies are constantly being updated, typically for you know, betterment of the consumer themselves, yep. right? And that's one way to just make sure, you know, that we're running on the most latest operating system and so let's let's go there. Yep. Um, again, we're we're talking with Ryan Leervik. Uh, Ryan is a cyber cybersecurity expert and author of a book, "Understand, Manage, and Measure Cyber Risk." Again, we're trying to trying to blend here in the show maybe a little bit too much consumer oriented information that you're providing and we're chatting about, 
and then at a much higher level, military and from uh, corporate and, and and state level information. But let's go consumer. So, it is my theory that Android, being an open phone system versus Apple with the iPhone closed system, that Android is less secure. Am I being naive? Mm, it's an interesting point of view. It that's a that's not an that un- sounds like I'm being naive. It, it's not being an uncommon naive. one. The, yeah. the issue, really, the the reality is this. We used to say the same thing about Microsoft. There was yeah. a lot of holes in it, and but you know, but there were less attacks. The issue is really is who's targeting it, Got because because all software, no matter what, right, has flaws. Now Apple has done a completely closed system, so the common thinking, right, is that they're much more difficult to breach, largely because the whole ecosphere is 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 uh, is closed. Mm-hmm. But there are still breaches. There are still ways in. There are still ways that we find flaws in the technology. Right, flip a couple things over, and next thing you know, you know, you're in. Versus an open software, we have more people looking at it, right, and building on it. You know, the reality is no matter which stack you're in, there are going to be flaws, and those flaws could reach critical data at some way, shape, or form. So it all depends on who's looking at it and trying to take it apart. And what they get, what they hope they'll get by breaking into it, I guess that's the other. What, you know, what's the reward? And let's – I, I know I'm, there's so much to talk about. It's great to have you here in the mic. DOD, mm-hmm. right? So we think – we, the common citizen, thinks that the football code, you know, all the all this, the nuclear codes, the most secure piece of data around. But there have been instances recently where I guess the CIA site was hacked. DOD's had some breaches. How worried should we be? It's an unfair question, <laughs> but how worried should we be? This is the problem, right? All technology has flaws in it, no matter where it is, right? You are so- bumming the living crap out of me, Ryan. <laughs> okay, go ahead. That's that's just the truth. So the, I know. Yeah, the, the reality is like, you know, when it comes to, you know, DOD has its own classification levels and largely based on impact to, the, you know, to the country. Like, that's actually a really interesting way to look at it. Like, look at the way the DOD classifies uh, their information, right? From, from, you know, confidential all the way up to top secret and above, right? The reason is because if it were to get out, right, it would cause grave harm, danger, either immediate or, you know, over a certain period of time to the United States, you know, apparatus, right, if you will. And so th- the same thing could be thought of with your own data, Yep. right? Your name, social security number, database, uh, sorry, data, data birth, if all those were leaked out of some database somewhere, right, that would could potentially do a lot of damage to you, right, because of the credit uh, scoring that could right. be changed, right? Password to my ATM, the whole thing. Well, that's sure. And, yeah. and, and what happens is you don't typically have those controls in place, right, where a credit, if you swipe a credit card, right, and the card number gets stolen, you know, credit card agencies and others, right, have mechanisms to quickly identify and protect against And this. I'm only liable for 50 bucks or whatever the heck and it is. And liability yeah. is low, too, yeah. right? But if your data gets out, stuff that you can't replace, like yep. think biometrics, yeah. right, other things that you can't replace and are used against you, that's really hard. Now so, we're talking. Yeah. We're, uh, <laughs> we're raising the temperature here on What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh. We're joined today by Ryan Lirvik. Ryan is a cybersecurity expert. We're talking about issues big and small surrounding cybersecurity. We'll have more of this conversation after this. Every week on What's Working in Washington, we talk to power players about innovation in the federal government and how business in the region is keeping us competitive. If you are a D.C. insider and want to know what leaders in other industries are talking about, we give you that insight. So thanks for listening. If you know someone we should be talking to on our show, let us know. We want perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. 
You can reach out through our website or through Twitter. We look forward to hearing from you. What's Working in Washington? I'm your host, Mark Walsh. We're back with Ryan Leerbeck. Ryan is the author of Understand, Manage, and Measure Cyber Risk. He's a cybersecurity expert. The subtitle, which I love, is Practical Solutions for Creating a Sustainable Cyber Program. And we've been talking about both the large elements of this and the small elements of this, small being what I care about, like my credit card and stuff like that. So let's go with IoT, you know, a, a hot, hot term, Internet of Things. And, of course, when you see it in ads, you know, GE will tell you about your refrigerator being connected, and they'll know when you're out of milk and all this sort of sexy, consumery play. But IoT implies that everything's connected. And I guess in your world, if it's connected, it can be uh, a source of danger. Am I over-describing that? That's exactly right. Yeah. That, and these are the things for consideration. Like, there are many considerations for having something connected to the Internet, right, the information it can provide. Right. But then we also have to be mindful from the consumer standpoint of what we're connecting and what's there. So, uh, you know, one of my favorite examples is the interconnected safe. Yeah. Right. This is a safe that you would normally put in your home or somewhere else. Even a physical safe. A, sorry. Yes. A physical with your safe in it. Yeah, with okay. your jewelry and your wallet, anything that you think that you want to protect from anybody else. Right. Yeah. And it's connected to the Internet. So interesting thing here. So again, there could be good reasons, right? You're not at home and you want to be able to unlock it for somebody or mm -hmm. you need to change the code or something's happening, right? But the interesting thing is a lot of these were shipped with a well-known username and password that was default from the factory. Admin. 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 That's right. Yeah, right. something like that. So yeah, yeah. the minute you connected it to your network, if not safe, you're broadcasting to the world like, hey, anybody, it's not difficult to find, quite frankly, yeah. you know, interconnected items. Right. In fact, there's many sites dedicated to identifying uh, systems that are out there that are connected with usernames and passwords, and they'll even post them. So you've now taken this thing that you consider to be very, very uh, secure to you and valuable to you and connected it without considering to change the username and password, in which case anybody can access it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm always amazed there haven't been more announced breaks into the ring camera and stuff like that, because it seems to me if you could break into the Ring network with all of the doorway cameras we have, there's a lot of mischief you could do there. Oh, indeed. Yeah, and some have. There's been some really oh, interesting okay. things. Yeah, it's, 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 worth, it's worth a look up to see. The good news is uh, manufacturers have, are quickly sort of adopting, you know, the new safeguards to do it. But think about the creepy factor there, right? These are the, some of the issues that like, oh, wow, you can see, you know, what packages I'm getting. You can see who's, who's ringing my doorbell or who's driving by or walking by my house at a certain time. These are the things that we, you know, mostly we don't consider when we connect things to the Internet that we otherwise wouldn't want people to see. But didn't, as we went to Zoom for COVID, didn't, wasn't there some, some elements of that? People kind mm -hmm. of breaking into Zoom cameras or, and stuff? Yes? Yes, yeah. Zoom bombing, yeah, it was a thing. Uh, so, again, Zoom... Has Zoom's responded, though? I yes, they yeah. have. Yeah, in fact, in fact, Zoom's response was actually quite, uh, quite good because they were rapid. They quickly put a team together to try to identify what the issues were and make it more secure. So again, this this falls in the category of all right. When we look at things that we're using as a, you know, just as a consumer, as an individual, personally, like certain things to consider, like where's the data that, what am I actually putting online? Yeah. What's the data there, and and how are how is the organization that I'm trusting with that, 
you know, uh, how are they taking care of my data? So we're talking with Ryan Leervik. Ryan is the author of Understand, Manage, and Measure Cyber Risk. So a hot topic since November of 2020 is election security. Mm. Is it your sense, unfair question, mm. duly noted, is it your sense that our, you know, the, the machines that counted the votes, which some say were hacked by Venezuela, is it your sense they're more secure than they're being described by some? Or do you think that as, as any system, there's some back doors there? Yeah, I would, I would say this. And we've done some, um, some work in that space. Okay. So far, I would challenge anybody to sort of identify uh, the flaws that are there. And with a, from a fact-forward standpoint, identify what the flaws were and did it actually do any Happen. harm. Yeah. Yeah, from from all accounts, uh, even the one that you, you know, even the one that a while ago finished up in in uh, Arizona. Yeah. Um, there's been no evidence of actual real tampering that did harm. Yeah. Uh, to date, right? So date. we'll see what happens. Yeah. But yeah. So um, we were going to talk a little bit about consumer use of digital assets and the protection of those. You mentioned the physical safe and IoT and how it's connected. But certainly in the last, you know, it seems like in the last day, but certainly in the last few years, the emergence of cryptocurrency as an asset base, stateless money, um, NFTs, you know, non-fungible tokens. I can buy the first tweet from Jack Dorsey. Uh, seemingly for incredible amounts of money, people are collecting these things with provenance, and, and obviously blockchain allows you to track who's owned it and when, or supposedly. Do you think people trust the cryptocurrency systems that are out there more than they probably should. Let me make a prediction. What your answer is? No, no seriously. <laughs> like, like, where, where yeah. does this, where does this go? It's a great question. It really is because just NFTs, just like any application that you put online, has its own set of flaws, right? And so the question there is: has the has the you know the publisher of this actually gone through an assessment, identified where the issues might be, right? And then you know, are, before they go to launch, mm -hmm. right? That's the question. Um, and so, you know, just like anything put online, like it has its own set of uh, vulnerabilities. Yeah. Yeah. So cryptocurrency, though, you think that's a separate issue or you're, basically what you said applies to all of it? Yeah. The interesting thing about well, the, the back end function, the blockchain there is that it's a public ledger. Yeah. Right. And so it really, you know, in terms of what is available at any given time in a, in a record of what's available, pretty substantial by any standards. Right. Um, because it takes a group of individuals to actually change it. Okay. Right. Whereas you know, in the in, you know, way back in the day, like when we actually took pen and paper ledger, like right. one person's got the ledger, they can change Who it knew? if they want. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There's yeah. only one person you're trusting. Here, you're trusting a little bit more people. Yeah. So, you know, well, there's that. Just as a sidebar, and tell me if you agree with this. I, when people say, "What is blockchain?" I say, "Do you remember when you go, if you see somebody buy a piece of art from Sotheby's, Park Burnett, whatever, they they had the provenance of that work of art. So when Renoir finished it." They would say to you, here are the seven people that have owned it over the last 140 years. And that providence made you say it's a real Renoir and that blockchain is a better version of that. Is that too simplistic a description? I think it's a great uh, description of it. Yeah. And it's I'm distributed. It's distributed. Yeah, yeah. And people can see it. And so it's not just with one person, you know, sitting there uh, able to change it. Yeah, yeah. It's a good way to think of it. So the conflict between the U.S., its states and other nations mm -hmm. on data handling, security and stuff like that. I guess Germany, GPDR, I forget the initials mm -hmm. on what privacy means, oh, yeah. security, right to be forgotten, stuff like that. Do you see America, uh, the U.S. being pretty smooth from a federal level versus some of the states, or is there some fractionalization there and what states versus the federal think? Good, yeah, there's fractionalization within the states and then of course with uh, with Europe. 
right? Europe sort of they they look at privacy way different than we do. Remember, we're we're based in capitalism. Yeah. Right. So so whatever we want to change from a privacy standpoint, how it impacts shareholder know, value. That's right. Is going to be a thing, right? Yeah. That's just how it works in in our country, right? Europe sees it slightly differently. Like so, GDPR and others sort of say, look, you have the right to completely be forgotten. What's interesting about America is. California and New York uh, have sort of are sort of on the bleeding edge of, you know, consumer privacy. And then it has a tendency to sort of like all things sort of work its way through the rest of the states and then impact the federal level. Okay. So that's just kind of how we see it because we're, we're organized differently as a country. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. What's your sense, uh, forgetting the administration or who's in charge and politics of it, what's your sense of the organizations within the federal government and how they cooperate? Mm-hmm. I mean, you met, we talked about DOD, obviously large budget, a lot at risk. But the FDA, FTC, is there enough, in your opinion, is there enough cross-pollinization and sharing amongst those organizations? I think we're getting there. It's, okay. We're seeing massive improvement. I mean, remember, bureaucracies grow, right? So really? When you get, yeah, exactly. Yeah. When you get your funding, you know, you kind of got to stretch out your yeah, yeah. piece to sort of, so that doesn't necessarily incentivize, you know, organizations and agencies and others to share data. But we're getting there because of what's at actually risk, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I guess, I mean, uh, as, as we wrap up here with Ryan Leervik, Ryan is the author of Understand, Manage, and Measure Cyber Risk, and we could talk for hours. But I was just thinking, you know, after 9-11 happened in New York, they found out all none of the cell phone, you know, it was just a ridiculous web of inter, non-interconnected ways for the a- agencies to communicate. I'm not sure they've actually gotten that much traction, though. This is a sad thing. But these are the kinds of events that make us rethink this. Well, listen, we're at the end of the show where I ask every guest – uh, magic wand moment. If you rule the world or your town, I don't care, uh, what one thing you would you start if you could, or maybe one thing you would cease to have happen if you could do that? I would say uh, slower vehicles move right. <laughs> nice one. <laughs> nice one. Allow if you're if you're in the if you're in the left hand lane, you're passing and yeah. you're moving. And typically people want to get you know get past you pretty fastly. So if, yeah. quickly. So if you know slower vehicle, just just stay to the right, you know, let let people pass. Ryan, you have now officially had the smallest uh, magic wand moment. But no, I, 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 I yeah. make fun. In some ways, though, that theory that people that gum up a system should move, mm-hmm. I could I could make your comment uh, impute to a wide variety of places that, that our nation and our world seems to be working on. So, um, again, I'll even be more unfair. Mm-hmm. If you could give a consumer like me one piece of advice to – to address what's going on, would it be a, a virtual private, you know, VPN subscription, um, share less? What would you say? I would say, you know, understand what data is critical to you, right? So that's your name, date of birth, social security number, and honestly, I'd say freeze your credit. Yep. Right, uh, and be mindful of where your what devices you have and where that data resides and what it's connected to. Right, just takes a minute to sort of think it all through. I know it's not easy, but in layman's terms, just consider what you have that would be valuable to others if used against you and, and think about where that's placed and, you know, limit where you put it. Well, it's not a lot of work when you think about the downside of what happens if you don't do that. That's right. It's Ryan yeah. Leervik. Ryan is the author of a book, Understand, Manage, and Measure Cyber Risk, Practical Solutions for Creating a Sustainable Cyber Program. He's a cybersecurity expert, and he has been incredibly informative on the things we should be worried about and hopefully a little bit happy about. Ryan, thanks for being with us today. Thank you very much, Mark. Appreciate it. It's What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh. Thanks for being here. The team behind What's Working in Washington is a great group. The executive producer and editor is Tracy Madigan. Online content, Anna DeGraff. And that theme music you enjoy, performed by The Sunbathers. 
You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast.